All right, if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Whenever December rolls around, I start thinking about Christmas. I can't help it. Uh, as soon as it begins, my mind starts thinking about Christmas. And I, I think about Christmas memories. And, and one of my favorite Christmas memories was a Christmas tradition that my family had growing up. Every Christmas morning, we would get up and, and we would open up our presents. We would eat breakfast and, and my mom would have been cooking some, some Christmas dishes, some food. Then we would get in our car. We would drive to Darlington, South Carolina, where my grandparents lived. And we would go over there and we would spend Christmas Day with my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins. And we would eat until we were stuffed. We would open up presents. And then we would play until we were exhausted. Those were some great memories. Now there are some people that think that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about the fun. Christmas is all about the food. Christmas is all about the fellowship. And of course, Christmas is all about the presence. But I want you to know that Christmas is much more than that. The Bible tells us from start to finish that Christmas is about good news. Good news of great joy. Good news that a Savior has been born. Good news that a Savior has come, light has come, into a dark world. And what I want us to do for the next month, for the next four weeks, is I want us to focus on this good news. But I want us to do it in, in somewhat of an unconventional way. Instead of focusing on the Christmas stories that we normally focus on, that we read about in the Gospel of Matthew, that we read about in the Gospel of Luke, what I want us to do is look at the Christmas stories that we discover in the Old Testament. And the very first Christmas story that we discover is in the very first book of the Bible, the third chapter of the Bible. You see, Christmas didn't originate on a dark night in a stable in Bethlehem. Christmas originated in the mind of God. And we read about Christmas from the very beginning of God's Word. Now, as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we discover that the story of Christmas is, is not only a story of good news, it's a story that invades bad news. And as we read Genesis chapter 3, we really read the worst news of all. It's the mother of all bad news because it tells us about the fall of man. And so this morning, what I want us to do is discover why we have Christmas in the first place. Because I believe that that, that is one of the questions that, that we need to answer to our world today. And as we answer these questions and as we walk through this chapter, there are three things that I want us to see. Here's truth number one. I want us to discover the reason for all the problems that we have in our world. Now, now I think we would all agree, as we look around the world, as we look around our nation, 
as we look around our city, we discover that we have problems. We watch the news and, and we, we see mass killings. We see terrorist attacks. We see body parts being, being sold to people. We, we see homosexual marriage being celebrated. We, we, we see racial tension that still exists. We see gender confusion. And those are just the headline issues. With our access to, to 24-7 news, we have become more aware than ever that our world is broken that something is wrong in our world, practically everyone, regardless of our spiritual upbringing, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of whether we have any beliefs at all, practically everyone believes that our world is broken, that something is wrong. The only question is why. Why is our world broken? Why are we having the problems that we have. Why are we in the mess that we are in? Where did it all begin? And is there a solution? Now, some would say that the solution is gun control. I mean, after every shooting that we have in America or, or around the world, we hear that the problem is there are too many guns and the solution is gun control. There are some that tell us that the solution is education. If we have better education, then we won't have the problems that we have today. There are others that tell us the, the, the problem is, is social and we need social reform. The problem is there's this disparity. There's this disparity between those that have and those that have not. And, and if we somehow can address these things and we can initiate social reform, then everything will be okay. But I want you to know that, that those aren't the solutions to our problems. Because our problem is not based in those things. The truth is, each and every problem that we face today can be traced back to one act. Now, before we begin to look at the problem, we need to look back at, at how it was before this problem originated. And we discover this in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We discover that God created a perfect world. After God created each and everything, God said, it is good. And then God created man in his very own image, in his very own likeness. And God said, it is very good. And God placed this man in this beautiful paradise. But in the midst of this beautiful paradise, something was missing. Man was alone. So God created a perfect companion for man. And so here was man and here was woman living in a paradise together. Everything was perfect. Now in the midst of this paradise, God gave man and woman one command. He placed one restriction on them. He told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you do eat from this, you will die. Now, there are some people that believe that, that God's commands 
are restrictions to keep us from enjoying life. But God's commands aren't restrictions to hinder us. God's commands are safeguards to help us. And when God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he knew that if they did, their life would be turned upside down. Now look at me. You need to understand, whenever God gives us commands, whenever God places restrictions upon us, whenever God says, do this, or God says, don't do this, it is not to hurt us, it is not to hinder us, it is to help us. And so here was man and woman living in this paradise together. Perfect relationship, perfect earth, everything was wonderful. And that's where Genesis 3 begins. Listen to what it says, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, when we read these six verses, we discover the reason for all of our problems. And the reason for all of our problems is one word, and that one word is rebellion. God created us. He placed us in a paradise. We had everything, and yet we rebelled against God. The first man, the first woman, sinned against God. They disobeyed God's clear command. Now, how did that happen? I mean, how can a man and a woman living in paradise living in complete harmony with God, choose to disobey God. Well, as we begin to unpack these six verses, we discover that there was a conversation that originated in the garden. It was an unusual conversation. It was a conversation between Eve and a snake. Now, we think about that, and it gives us a moment of pause because we wonder how could Eve be having a conversation with a snake, and yet this not create a problem in her mind. Well, you need to understand that Adam and Eve were exploring paradise. They were just beginning to learn all about paradise, all of God's creation, and we don't know. We don't know how sin affected animal life. But what we do know is that Eve was having this conversation and there didn't seem anything wrong with it. But understand, this snake was no ordinary snake. Because we discover in God's word that this snake had been inhabited by Satan himself. You say, Rocky, how do you know that? Well, because Revelation 12 verse 9 and Revelation 20 verse 2 makes it very clear. And so here was Satan 
who had inhabited a snake having a conversation with Eve. Now understand, Satan's goal, Satan's desire is very clear. His desire is your destruction. His desire is my destruction. And one of the tools that he uses to do that is deception and lies. You see, Satan is the the father of all lies. And if he can get us to believe his lies rather than the truth that comes from God, then he is on track to accomplishing his desires, his goal, which is our destruction. Now notice how he does it. He first casts a doubt on God's word. The very first question ever found in God's word is this. Did God really say? So Satan began to question God's word. Did God really say that? And right there is the slippery slope where sin begins. Whenever we question God's word rather than simply trust God's word, we are in trouble. Now, some of you may be asking, well, is it always wrong to doubt God's word? Yes, it is always wrong to doubt God's word. Is it normal to doubt God's word in our sinful state? Yes, it's normal. But understand, it's always wrong. And whenever we doubt God's word, that is the first step in disobeying God. A great man once said, never put a question mark where God has put a period. Never put a question mark where God has put a period. Because Satan used that question mark literally to defeat Adam and Eve and get them cast out of paradise. And so Satan gets us to deny To to doubt God's word. And then once we doubt God's word, Satan comes along and he denies God's word. Notice what Satan said. Satan said, you will not die. And that's what Satan does. Once he plants the doubt in our mind, then he says, God's lied to you. God's deceived you. God is not going to put you to death. He gets us to deny God's word. And our world is filled with people who are doing that today. And notice what he did. As Eve began to doubt and she began to deny, she looked at the fruit, that forbidden fruit on that tree, and she began to desire it. That's what happens. Satan gets us to doubt what God says. He denies that God is true. And all of a sudden, we look at the sin all around us and we begin to desire it. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that there is pleasure in sin. Why is it that we desire sin? Why is it that we struggle with sin? We all do, don't we? We struggle with these temptations, these desires to do things that we know God has clearly told us not to do. Why is that? It's because we have this desire within us to do things that God tells us not to do. And so she saw the fruit. She desired it because it was good to look at. It was pleasant to touch. She thought it would be good for food and and it would make her like God. 
And who doesn't want to be like God? And so here was Eve. She, she had this seed of doubt planted in her mind. The enemy denied God's word, said, God has lied to you. She looked at the forbidden fruit. She desired it. And before she knew it, she was disobeying God. She rebelled against her creator. She chose to believe the lie rather than the truth. She believed what her enemy said rather than what the creator said. You will be like God. I want to be my own God. And she chose to disobey God. That's where our problems originate. That's where all of our problems come from. Because the Bible tells us that that her disobedience, her husband's disobedience, their rebellion has affected each and every one of us. Because the stain of sin, the birth defect of sin that was planted in them has been passed down to each and every one of us. And because of that, we're born, we begin to grow up, we enter into those terrible twos and we have temper tantrums and we begin to get selfish. And and before we know it, we are rebelling against our creator. Each and every one of us does. And that rebellion manifests itself in different ways. For some of us, it may never rebel itself in hatred that that will cause us to go into a a Planned Parenthood building and kill people. It, It may never cause us to become terrorists. It may never cause us to embrace a lifestyle that that is considered sin. And, And yet... And yet, did you know that that the overwhelming majority of of people that call themselves Christians today are involved in premarital sex, even though the Bible says it's clearly wrong? Did you know that, that the greed that the Bible speaks against has invaded even the church to the point that you and I must constantly, continuously fight against the desire to have more and more and more, even though God's Word says that money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see, the problem of sin has affected each and every one of us. And and the reason that our world is in such dire trouble today is because of this one act of rebellion that has been handed down, passed down to each and every one of us. Now, what is the result of that rebellion? Well, look at verse 7 and following, and I want to read this passage through to the end. Listen to, to what it says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman... You put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and so I ate it. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will be, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat it all, or you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, but the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, and the Lord God said, This man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground which he had been taken from. As we continue to read this story, we discover that this one act of rebellion affected every area of life. It affected every area from birth to death. It affected every part of our being from the, from the top of our head to the tip of our toes. I want you to notice how this one act of rebellion affected Adam and Eve. It affected them emotionally. For the first time, Adam and Eve experienced the sickness of shame. For the first time, they were touched by, by the finger of fear. For the first time, They were haunted by the ghost of guilt. Shame. Guilt. Fear. These things were not known before the rebellion. Before the rebellion, there was perfect peace. The Bible says that... The man and the woman were both naked and there was no shame. There was complete transparency. They were totally exposed to one another and yet there was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no fear. And they rebelled. And all of that changed emotionally. The emotions that that we experience today of fear, of, of guilt, of shame... They are the result of that first rebellion. I want you to listen. I want you to hear me. You see, all of our depression, all of our anguish, all of our despair is the result of our sin. It affected them emotionally. It affected them relationally. Instead of loving one another and caring for one another, they started blaming one another. The man said, well, the woman... You gave me? She's the one who did this. And all of a sudden, the the marital bliss they had was no more. 
Instead of having this mutually interdependent relationship where the husband lovingly cared for and nurtured his wife, that relationship was distorted. God said that because of this rebellion, the woman will try to control the man. And the man will try to control the woman. Listen to me very carefully. Our marriage problems begin right here. The issue in your marriage is not your spouse alone. Yes, they are the problem, but so are you. Because of sin and because of rebellion, we struggle in our relationships. There are no perfect relationships anymore. And so if you ever hear someone who says, well, our relationship is perfect, they're a liar. Because there are no perfect relationships. Sin affected their relationship. It affected them vocationally. The Bible says that because of this one act of rebellion, their work would be hard. Don't miss this. The Bible never says that work is the result of sin. What the Bible says is that work will be difficult because of sin. Before rebellion, God gave Adam a job. God gave Adam work to do. And Adam would go and do the work and enjoy the work. Before the fall, Adam was given this task and and he enjoyed what he was doing. But because of the fall, the Bible says that his work became tedious and painful and difficult. Before the fall, Mondays were just another day in paradise. But because of the fall, we dread Mondays. Do you know that Sunday nights are some of the most stressful nights in the homes of families all across America? Why is that? Is it because people are are coming off of going to church? No. It's because people are getting ready to go back to work. And people dread it today. It affected them vocationally. It affected them spiritually. God made a promise to Adam. He said, the day you eat the fruit, you will die. Now, at first glance, it appears that God missed it. But understand, Adam and Eve died immediately. You see, in the Bible, death is is not only the separation of, of the body from the spirit. Death is the separation of the spirit from God. And the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes were open. And what did they do? They feared God and they began to hide from God. The fellowship was so fractured that God cast them out of the garden. And it affected them physically. Adam immediately died in his spirit, but he progressively began to die in his body to the point that he died and he returned to the dust of the earth. And because of that, you and I will die physically as well. All of the cancers and and the strokes and the arthritis and, and all of the things that we struggle with today physically that ultimately bring death to us are the result of the fall. Now, I want you to go back and look at something before we move to the last point, and that's this. When Adam and Eve rebelled and they hid themselves from God, 
Notice what God did. When Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't come to God and say, God, we blew it. God, we messed up. They hid themselves. And what did God do? God pursued them. God went after them. Look at me. Salvation isn't ultimately the result of you reaching out to God. Salvation is ultimately the result of God reaching out for you. God pursued you while you were in bondage to your sin. God pursues you while you were living a life of rebellion. God doesn't look at you and say, straighten up, live right, follow my laws, do what I say, and then I will love you. God comes after us and pursues us because he loves us with an everlasting love. And that's what we see in verse 15. Because the final thing we see in this chapter is the Redeemer is promised. You see, in the middle of all this sin and in the middle of all this shame, there is a glimmer of what is to come. There is a ray of hope. Verse 15 gives us the first promise and it gives us the first prophecy found in Scripture. Immediately after Adam and Eve fell from God's favor, immediately after they caused all the problems to come on earth, God provided a solution. Look what it says in in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, at first glance, we think that that is just talking about the serpent, the snake, and how snakes will strike at us and we will crush the head of snakes. And, and certainly, that's true for me. I hate snakes. I don't like snakes. If you have a snake for a pet, don't invite me to your house. Please. Snakes are, are terrible. They're hideous. They're awful. And if I'm around a snake, I'm going to try to crush his head. Now you say, what about those good snakes? Good snakes are dead snakes. That's what I believe. It's a certainly. It's a certainly. This is talking about the snake and and what will happen with the snake. Before this time, the snake obviously didn't crawl on its belly the whole time. But because of the curse, the snake would crawl on its belly. Because of the curse, there would be this, this, this conflict between mankind and snakes. And, and mankind, for the most part, would never like snakes. But there's something more to this. You see, this verse is is called the Proto-Euangelion. The first gospel. The first good news. It's the first glimpse of what God is going to do to save man. Now, I want you to know three things in this verse, and then we've got to close. First of all, notice the battle. God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. That word enmity means war. It means 
conflict. And, and so what God says is there's going to be this, this conflict that's going to rage, this battle that is going to rage between you and the woman. Now let me remind you that the serpent was inhabited by Satan. And so there's going to be this battle that's going to rage between man and between Satan. And can I tell you today that, that your first step in having victory in life is understanding that battle? There is a battle raging and there is an enemy that wants to destroy you. And that battle began in the garden and it is going to continue until the end of this age. And so there's this battle raging. We have an eternal enemy that is seeking to destroy us. And so he says, first of all, there's this battle between the woman and the serpent. But then he says there is also a battle between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. Now, what is that talking about? Well, that takes us all the way to the end of human history. When the Bible tells us that Satan is going to inhabit a human being and we are going to call him the Antichrist. And there is going to be this battle that is raged between Jesus and the Antichrist. And so there's this battle. And then we're told about this mysterious birth. God tells us that the, the seed, the offspring of woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now this word seed, offspring... Is found 300 times in Scripture. Every other time, it refers to a man, a male, the seed of a man. Why is that? Because biologically, it is the man who provides the seed. The woman provides the egg. But God tells us that there is going to be a child that is born who is the seed of woman. In other words, it's going to be a birth that is unlike any other birth because there is not going to be a seed from man. And the child that is born from this unusual birth is going to crush the head of the serpent. Now, we're told about this in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive, will bear a son. And you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so here in this third chapter of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, we are told that, that God is going to provide a unique child. A child that is unlike any other child. A child that is born without an earthly father. And this child is going to be Emmanuel. This child is going to be God with us. And when we get to the New Testament and we read the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we discover that this child is none other than Jesus. 
the seed of woman. And so we see this battle that is raging. We see this mysterious birth. And then we see this victory. Notice what it says. It says that the serpent will bite his heel, will bruise his heel. But he will crush his head. Now, when did the serpent bite the heel of the offspring of woman? Well, that happened on the cross, didn't it? You say, Rocky, how do you know that? Listen to what it says in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The same word here is the word used in Genesis 3. I imagine when Jesus was on that cross, hanging there, he was thinking of that. Because here was Satan. He thought he had given Jesus the death blow. He had won the battle. But he had only bruised the heel of Jesus. Because three days later, Jesus came out of that tomb, defeating death and defeating sin. But that's not the end of the story. Because, you see, that's when the victory was won. But the victory isn't going to be realized until Jesus comes back. And he crushes the head of our enemy. And he is thrown into the lake of fire forever. You see, Christmas is all about the solution to our problem. Christmas is all about our, our rebellion and, and how our rebellion separated us from God and affected every area of our life. Why was Jesus born in the dark of night? Because the world is in darkness. And yet that Savior that is born is the one who brings good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. And so what do we need to do? Well, two things. First of all, we need to admit our problem. Not the problem of long ago. You see, it's easy for us to admit that Adam and Eve blew it. We don't even need to admit the problem in the world around us. All we need to do is watch the news to, to realize that our world has problems. We need to admit our problem. We need to admit that we are part of the problem, that we are sinners. We need a Savior. And until you come to that point in your life where you are broken by your sin and rebellion, until you come to that point in your life where you acknowledge that I have rebelled against my God, my Creator, you can never experience salvation. That's the first step. But then the second step is accept God's solution. Jesus. Realize that even as sin initiated, God initiated salvation. And all we need to do is receive Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. And He provides forgiveness. And He gives us hope. And He gives us a future. Now, I don't know where you are this morning in your life, but here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You have a problem. That problem is your sin and rebellion. And all your efforts will never solve your problem. That's why God sent His Son. 
the seed, the offspring of woman, to be our Savior, to crush the head of our enemy. And if you'll just simply receive Jesus and and invite him into your heart and life, I'm here to tell you that he will change your life from the inside out. He will forgive you of your every sin. He will give you a brand new start. And he will give you a home with him for all eternity. And everything that was lost because of our ancestors, we can have restored because of our Savior. So where are you? Have you acknowledged your problem? Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus, you've never been broken over your sin. And I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can convict you of your sin. If you've never been broken over your sin and trusted Jesus to be your one and only Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. You can pray this prayer to Him right now with a a humble heart. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin, acknowledging my rebellion. I've disobeyed you. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. I'm turning from my sin. I'm accepting your son Jesus as my Savior. I believe with all my heart, Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe when he died, he paid the penalty of my sin. He crushed my enemy. Today, I'm asking you to save me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. And make me brand new. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.